This is The Stateless Man for the pursuit of individual liberty beyond arbitrary borders, oppressive governments, and myths of national obligations. If you value liberty and are willing to migrate and vote with your feet, you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Stateless Man. This is your host, Fergus Hodgson, and I'm broadcasting live from Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, this is an abbreviated f- version of the show, uh, given uh, some guests not being... I'm with you live now in the second hour, and uh, we just had a rebroadcast for the first hour. I want to go through, in the first segment, just my observations on, on my time in Venezuela, and then after that, we're going to be speaking with Gregory Simon of Nomadic Life and his take on leaving, you could say, the conventional financial career and using Bitcoin as a, a an alternative and vehicle to make that happen. And as long-term listeners to The Stateless Man will know, Venezuela, even though this is my first trip here, and I've been here, what, five days now, it's had a special place in uh, my interest or research for a long time, and particularly because it is the heart of this Bolivarian socialist revolution for the 21st century, and it's in a very precarious state. So now that I'm finally here, I can speak frankly about it and give my assessment from seeing it firsthand. Now, I, I don't claim to know the entire country, and I'm still learning, but many things have become very clear in a short period of time. Now, the... I think overarching theme or response from me has been one of sadness, actually, that there is lost potential here and there are ruined lives. When I come here, when I look, stand on the balcony out where I'm staying, this is a beautiful city. There is El Avila, the mountain range behind the city that leads is between the city and the Caribbean. So we're right by the coast. This is a, a perfect gateway to South America for Europe and North America. It has incredible climate. It has a wide mix of backgrounds. It has fertile land. It has uh, so much going on, basically, and uh, a a long history. But what do you what do we see here? We see crime, astronomical crime, actually. Uh, people will, might have heard about the Monica Spear death just uh, a couple of weeks back. She was a former Miss Venezuela, an actress, and traveling here with her husband, or maybe she was getting back together with her husband, but regardless, with her partner and her daughter, and she had some sort of vehicle difficulty on the highway, and basically robbers, armed robbers came to approach the vehicle, and they locked the vehicle, as one might do, but they simply opened fire and killed her. But that instance was really just just the tiniest tip of the iceberg. That every, every year here in Venezuela, there are, well, at least in 2013, there were almost 25,000 murders. That's around 70 per day. When you have that scale of murder or of crime, of violence, it changes the people. So that, that's a rate on par. Honduras and basically the highest levels in the world and 
the officials' government statistics are rigged and don't report those, but fortunately there are private organizations that get together and maintain the rates. So you see, you see crime, you see poverty. As soon as you drive into Caracas, you see decrepit buildings. You see near locations. They just have junk hanging up the windows. The paint is all gone. It's just a mess. It's really terrible to see. So the poverty is so evident. And that's in the poorest areas. Don't even be because of the suburbs that I just want to go there. So we have this, yeah, this, this crime, poverty, and economic crisis. When you arrive for it, there is this sign. Tracy here. The fact is, you'd be completely uninformed to do so at the official rate. Right now, the official claim is that a Bolivar Fuerte, which is the, the old currency became so devalued through inflation that they changed the numbers by 1,000 to make a Bolivar Fuerte. Well, the official rate is 6.3 US dollars. In other words, one Bolivar Fuerte can buy 6.3. But you can't actually get a US dollars for 6.3. They just won't give it to you. There are they will give you Bolivaris Fuertes for that price that you can use your dollars to buy 6.3, but the black market rate is around 66. So if you if you go to anyone here, they'll be willing to give you 50, 60, up to 66 Bolivares for U.S. dollars. And that's because they have so little, such little access to U.S. dollars. So we have the currency crisis is a big part of it. But that currency crisis reflects hyperinflation, basically, that the government is obviously not controlling its expenses. It is spending out of control and devaluing the currency. It's paying its bills with printing. And... I think, like I said, this leads to a sadness in the people and a sadness in me about what is happening. And many people were blaming others and don't want to point to the real problem, which is this collectivist nightmare. But I'll just refer to two particular outcomes that people here have pointed to or alerted me to. One is what they call the lost generation. So many young people are leaving that she, she calls it the lost generation. When you see no future, when your salaries are being devalued, when any sort of investment is being uh, chased away, why would you stay? The only people who are really staying, it seems, are ones who have no way out, who are too poor to leave, or who are just so extremely loyal to this country that they, don't, they, want, they want to stay and fight. The second, you could say, outcome is one of demoralization. We might not expect this or understand this, but a local said to me that he believes, and I think he's correct, that there's no incentive for those in government to restore the economy or to fight crime because it's becoming a normalized situation. People are becoming demoralized. They're becoming accustomed to this inferior form of life. And that's just, obviously, it's extremely unfortunate. But the key reason why they would want that is that once you are weakened, demoralized, apathetic, you're not strong or resilient to fight back. You give up. And that's one of the key insights, observations as to why 
Cuba has been under tyranny for 55 years. The people have lost their hope, they've lost their courage, their strength to resist, to overthrow. And I suspect here in Venezuela, the sentiment is the same, that the leaders see this, they're working with Cuban spies or Cuban agents, and they want to achieve that outcome. This is becoming such a Cuba-like place, it's eerie. You have waiting lists to buy cars. Soon enough, I'm guessing, you'll hardly be able to import cars at all. And you have heavy propaganda you arrive in the airport. It, it's killing me to speak about this country, bud. Uh, I'm glad I got to come here and see it in person. And I'll move on to more optimistic topics. Thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. This is your host, Fergus Hodgson. I'm broadcasting live from Caracas, Venezuela. And I've just posted a note on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash The Stateless Man, where you can get more details on Venezuela. I could talk about it for a long time. It is a, a sad situation and a very frustrating one because of the enormous potential here that has gone by the wayside. Further, I'm very concerned that, that many of the people do not realize what is causing this, and that is leading it to perpetuate uh, in particular, the price control schemes, which are obviously uh, pushing away foreign investors, anyone who'd want to do business here. Why would you want to invest here if you know that your prices could be mandated down or lower uh, without your foreknowledge? It seems crazy, but apparently a majority of people support such measures, and it really just breaks my heart to see that happening. And, and obviously it hurts the minority of people who don't support it. It's really a tyranny of the majority in this case. Uh, but I want to, like I said, I want to move on to more uplifting or positive comments. So go to the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the stateless man. If you want to see the archive to Venezuela topics on the Pano post. And I also have a, a post up on Gregory Simon. His website is nomadiclife.com. No as in no knowledge, maticlife.com. And I've also got that one posted. He came to my attention, I'm thinking maybe three or four weeks ago, regarding an article on Coindesk, what is a media outlet that covers digital currency, specifically Bitcoin. And the headline is, man uses Bitcoin to buy a piece of paradise in Nicaragua. And further to, you could say, spice up the story, it says that he quit his job as a banker or someone in the banking industry. It says, a former banker, Simon, first traveled to Nicaragua in mid-October after quitting his job in institutional equity at the end of 2012. He says the current banking system is beyond immoral. It takes advantage of the most helpless and poor people on earth, explaining why he left after 12 years in the, in the field. And so there's plenty to say about this. Bitcoin excites me, many other people. And both he and I are going to a conference in Miami in just over a week, actually, or 20, the 25th, I think it is, so maybe two weeks. Regardless, I want to, I want to get Gregory Simon on and say thanks so much for joining us on your Sunday morning up in Nicaragua. Hi, Fergus. Thank you for having me on your show today. Right. There's, there's plenty to get to now. I guess to help people understand your situation, why don't we just give a little bit of context as to what motivated you to leave your career, how well it was going? I mean, were you just bored with it, or was it purely, you could say, an ideological or moral shift? I think it might have been a combination of, of all of those that you mentioned, but the, the, probably the primary factor was just f feeling like 
particularly after the events that occurred during the great financial crisis, that the system has been designed to benefit a small number of people at the expense of a great number of people. Felt like I was being a part of the wrong team, and I wanted to somehow be a part of an organization or a group of people that were trying to uh, create and launch solutions to the current system uh, without needing some type of revolution or, or violence. Um, mm -hmm. That I didn't know what was the uh, way for me to go forward at the time, but I knew that I wanted to do something different, more positive, using my, my background and, and my skills. And so in December 2012, I quit. And uh, again, I didn't know uh, what would be next for me. So I, with my girlfriend, Tayana, uh, we decided to travel. And hopefully w what would come next in my life would, would find us and inspire me. And so we set off with a goal of traveling to 40 countries around the world. Uh, I sort of call it my one year offline from the matrix uh, to meet people and, and do other experiences. And that's what All we right. did. And um, we, we, we just met our goal exactly 40 countries we were able to visit in 2013. Incredible. That's great. And we had someone on the show from New Zealand, I'm thinking two weeks ago, who was discussing re reformist the banking sector. And this man actually wanted some sort of different form of government central bank. But I think he at least recognized the problem that fractional reserve banking is really a process of theft as far as I'm concerned. It, its lineage dates back to actual backed currencies and where the, the cash or notes represented physical gold or other precious metals, and that's basically just been confiscated from the, the legitimate owners of those items. And then we have this remnant of that. And I don't know the exact... You could say wealth redistribution effect in terms of uh, nominal terms or dollar terms, but just the notion that there is a monopoly on currency and it's basically just digital that people seem to forget that the, the vast majority of currency in circulation is already digital and it, it is going to, as you said, a select few people. Have you done much research into when the actual structure or functioning of, you could say, of the Federal Reserve System or... I mean, what, what insights you said you got the, you were concerned about being on the wrong team. What particular elements of your duties you say were problematic? Well, I think you've touched upon some of the problems. I think from what I've studied, uh, I'm a huge fan of Austrian economics. I've been a student of Austrian economic principles and theories for a number of years. Right. An advocate of a, of a gold standard as well uh, until I came across Bitcoin. Mm. And I think there's two main problems with the current system. One is the centralization of power in the money industry, and the other would be the monopolization of, of money by governments in the money industry. And I want to point out that a lot of people don't think about money as a product in an in industry, but money is an economic good that we consume just like anything else. Uh, and the reason why we don't think of it as that is because we historically in our lifetimes have only had one option in each country we go to, and that's the mm -hmm. government not monopoly option. Um, but... Yeah. It is an industry, and we consume money as a product. And this centralization of the control of money has gone back to even when there was a gold standard because you have to centralize uh, the, the custodianship of the metal uh, to issue the IOUs that people use as currency that's represented by the gold backing that up. And the current system was sort of born by that. First, it had centralization, although there was, to a degree, a, a, a control on how much they could print uh, by the backing of it by some physical metal. Uh, but as you said, uh, in 1971, we, we went off of the gold standard, 
And now there's an infinite supply that the central banks can print. So they sort of evolved into this creature cartel of central banks that can print an infinite number of currency units in every country. And by doing that, it debases the value of every existing currency. And it's effectively, it's a co- and it's the worst, worst kind of tax because normal taxation is directly from the government to the people. But this one is done covertly through the debasing of our currency. And very few people are able to understand the economic principles behind that. And so the governments really like doing it this way because most of us aren't aware it's even occurring. Right. I want, to, I want to affirm one of your points is that most of us, including us, I'm assuming you're you know, similar age to me, have just grown up under a single currency system. That's all we've known. So it's a bit like gravity. We just sort of assume it's there. We don't realize this, this hasn't always been the case. Until the 1930s, for example, Canada did not even have a central bank. And I think New Zealand did not use its own currency for many decades as well. It used to use just the British pound. Regardless, there are lots of other options that we just perhaps are not aware of. Uh, we are approaching the break, though. So let me say, people, if you have a question for Gregory about how to you know, use Bitcoin or how to get out of the fiat currency system, please do call in. It's, the number is 1-800-313-9443. And his website is Nomadic Life, K-N-O-W, MaticLife.com. Otherwise, you're tuning in to The Stateless Man, and it's my pleasure to be with you. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. This is Fergus Hodgson uh, broadcasting from Caracas, Venezuela. We're pursuing liberty beyond borders. That is international living, financial independence, and personal sovereignty. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning, this Sunday uh, morning. And uh, we were just discussing, you could say, the problems with this monopoly and centralized fiat currency fractional reserve banking system. And Gregor Simon, who has gained fame through Bitcoin, I guess, mentioned that he used to support a gold standard. And many of us would agree that a gold standard would be superior to what we have right now, but he, but he also noted that it required a great degree of centralization as well, or at least was conducive to it. And I think for a long time, a gold standard is the only alternative that people have really had to turn to with any great confidence. And it does have some problems. And it is likely to lead to further fractional reserve banking, whether we like it or not or want to admit, admit so or not. But the positive development is this Bitcoin realm. And he, on his website, has written an article just recently, where is it, on the 7th, so about almost a week ago, but he notes, quote, Bitcoin's human potential. And many people have already heard about Bitcoin, but why don't you give a note about what Bitcoin is, a quick overview, and then why you are just so excited about it. Sure. Uh, first off, I want to emphasize that I love gold and silver. I'm still an advocate of gold and silver as a store of wealth, as sound sure. money. It doesn't have to be either or, and too many people coming from the Austrian economics camp or the, the gold is money camp, uh, they, 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 they tend to think it has to be a binary choice, and it doesn't. Uh, just a little bit of investigation shows that the, the two are quite different in the functions that, that they can provide for us in the money industry, and they complement each other quite well. Uh, mm. All, all, well, I guess all three, gold, silver, and Bitcoin together, uh, really create a, 
a, a very powerful portfolio for us to use as a money product in the money industry. Um, so with that, I want to say that Bitcoin is actually not a currency. And uh, too many people in the beginning think of it as a currency because our first uh, option to use it is as a currency, and we make that mistake. Uh, Bitcoin is actually just a technology. Uh, it's a computer program. Let, 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 me, let me just back you up there because... I'm not, I guess you may, may use currency in a different form, but the basic standard in economics of what money is, maybe you want to, I guess, distinguish currency and money, is a medium of exchange, store of value, and a unit, 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 of, unit of measure, unit of value. And yeah. Bitcoin does have all three, those three elements. Right. Well, different people have different definitions of words, which can make it difficult to communicate, but the one that I choose and the one that's commonly accepted for money is that it performs three functions to us. One is as a medium of exchange, which allows us to do some economic transaction with someone else. Uh, it's a store of wealth, which means that we feel comfortable holding it as money for a prolonged period of time, knowing that in the future it will retain its value as money. And the third one is a unit of account. So that would be what things we purchase are priced in. Uh, so currently the fiat money in the United States, the Federal Reserve notes, satisfies Two of those, uh, one, it's a unit of account. If you go shopping somewhere, it's denominated in dollars. Uh, two, it's a medium of exchange. It's a very poor store of wealth. It's actually a terrible store of wealth. Um, so gold performs well as a store of wealth over time. Historically, it's, de- it's done very well as a protection uh, against inflation. A currency is something that is not all three. So a currency would be something we use as a medium of exchange, but it's not necessarily the unit of account, or perhaps it's a store of wealth, uh, but it's not necessarily a unit of account. Uh, so Bitcoin, for some people, is money. There are some people out there who their lives are entirely denominated in Bitcoin, uh, where their revenues and their expenses are all in Bitcoin. But for the majority of us, it is not. So technically, but, Bitcoin so, is but not. But you, you think that for it to be a currency, would have to be using it in as a monopoly? They would have to have all functions being used by it? To be money. Uh, but it doesn't have to be money. And I don't think that we have to think of either fiat or Bitcoin. And, and this way of thinking carries over from when we tried to think of a gold standard. If we implement a gold standard, then it has to replace the fiat standard. You can only have one or the other. Uh, but when we, when we use Bitcoin, which is, as I said, it's, it's, a tech, it's a technology that functions as a currency, we can use it parallel to the current system. We don't have to replace it. And this is what people refer to as the denationalization of the money industry. We don't have to change the fiat currency used in the United States from U.S. dollars. Uh, we can voluntarily use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, or we can use it as a store of wealth quite easily. Um, we can try to use it as a unit of account on some websites that already are denominating their their prices in, in Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin. That's right. right. Um, but, but, but for now, we, we, we don't have to end the Fed. And this is the great thing that's really exciting about this, this technology. You don't have to audit the Fed. It doesn't even matter what the Fed is doing. You can voluntarily today purchase Bitcoin, and you can begin to use it as a medium of exchange without having any political changes whatsoever. That is beautiful, actually, because I think most of us, when we see problems, we want to basically confront them directly, and that invites basically competition or confrontation uh, where you are basically going against people who already have power or control of the situation. And one parallel example or similar example might be education. We see problems with government education or conventional education. We're going to want to go and reform the teachers union or reform the legislation or whatever it may be. If you can just come up with alternatives, you can just basically ignore all that, as you say. You don't even have to engage. And that just basically, by um, 
almost by creative destruction, you're just basically undermining that initial institution. Absolutely. Creative destruction is, is the perfect way to define it. So if we create competition in the money industry, like, say, we have in the technology industry, look at televisions. Uh, tele- the televisions, that industry is extremely competitive. And the result of that has been these companies that compete for our consumption in the TV industry. Uh, they, they, they strive as aggressively as they can to innovate. And the innovation is what creates the wealth, not the uh, sales growth, but the innovation to provide better products for us at a lower cost to society. And currently in the money industry, we do not have that. We have a monopoly that's centrally controlled by governments. And so it's very easy to understand why the product is of a horrible quality. Once we introduce competition into the money industry, the very same forces, the free market forces of competition that have provided us flat screen TVs, high definition for under $400, which 10 years ago we would have laughed at the idea. Mm. The same thing we can do to the money industry Competition from cryptocurrencies like, like Bitcoin or Litecoin or Purecoin or whatever, it will force the hand of the central banks to either improve how they function in the money industry and the product they provide for us, or they will have to become obsolete. Uh, what they choose to do is up to them. But there is, it's very, very unlikely, it's very improbable that they will be able to stop the competition because Bitcoin is a decentralized, denationalized, open source protocol, very similar to BitTorrent. And because there's no single point of weakness with the Bitcoin protocol, to stop it, you, they would literally have to turn off every potential node on Earth, which means every computer, every smartphone, and every laptop, every uh, iPad, and it's, it's simply not feasible. Right, but there have been attempts, and I don't know whether the people in the U.S. Congress have any clue what they're talking about when they address these topics, but in other countries, there have been attempts to regulate Bitcoin. Are you familiar with what what those developments have been? Right. Uh, so a number of central banks around the world have been issuing statements on, on Bitcoin. And I actually think that they're doing the prudent thing. And I'm not a fan of central banks, that they're wrong, but their job is to protect their banking system that's built around their central bank and each currency. And Bitcoin is something that's brand new. Nothing like this has ever existed before. Uh, even many of the core developers don't fully know what type of transformation this will have to what degree in, around the world. And their job is to protect their banks. And so I think they're actually doing the prudent thing to, they're not, no one's actually banning it. I don't even think central banks have the authority to outlaw something that would be have to pass by the government. Mm. Central banks are simply saying, look, we don't understand what this thing is. Uh, we can't be- stop you from using it, but we, please use it at your, at your own, uh, at your own risk. And, and I think it's the right thing for them to do. And people then have the choice. Okay, I educate myself on what Bitcoin is. Uh, there are risks that are inherent with currently using it because it's a new technology and there's not a lot of infrastructure built around it to give you protections that you may have if you use fiat currency like FDIC or, or having uh, a credit card that will guarantee you against fraud. Now, that sort of infrastructure doesn't currently exist. That doesn't mean it won't in the future, but right now it doesn't. So there are some risks that you have with using Bitcoin that you wouldn't have with fiat. And so they're simply saying, "Be careful." Uh, no one's actually banning it, and I, I don't. I think I don't think we will see any government come out and ban it. A lot of people say that they will, and I think they won't. Well, it would probably emba- embarrass them because they'd have absolutely no capacity to enforce such a rule. And absolutely. Yeah. Well, you hear the music, folks. Uh, we'll have more with Greg right after the break. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back, folks. This is The Stateless Man, and we're examining Bitcoin today with an expert who's now based in Nicaragua. His claim to fame, or his fame, arose after he bought a piece of property there or land there uh, using Bitcoin alone. And I wanted to make some comments about the changes, and he mentioned in one of his articles what he calls the human potential of Bitcoin. In my, you could say, most favorable view of Bitcoin is that it's dreamly egalitarian that the central banking system may be one of the most pernicious forms of cronyism out there, where some people benefit from the power of monopoly and government over the rest of us, and we're all being taxed via this system to those who happen to have license or a cartel on that industry. Coin is not like that at all. There are ways to mine it, but it's very difficult and it's not very profitable. Basically, it's very open to anyone. In addition, it's open across borders. Bitcoin knows no borders. It's completely blind to that sort of uh, silliness. So, it, in my view, just it, it is wonderful for, you could say, a genuine meritocracy of humanity, of basically justice for individuals earning what they have produced or getting the fruits of their labor, which is wonderful. Now, I want to. we've just got one segment to play with, and I know many people are probably just, they don't know where to get started. So, and you, you mentioned other cryptocurrencies that are arising, which is great. I mean, more competition obviously is better. How would the novice make a start or actually become, you know, a user of Bitcoin? Okay. Um, happy to answer that question, but before we do, while well, we still have some time in this segment, I, I want to today mm. uh, briefly touch upon that, that Bitcoin is, is very unique from anything else we've ever used as currency before in that it has both monetary value and it has non-monetary value. And too much we focus on simply the monetary value, which, which is pretty much all the commentary that's out there today. But the non-monetary value is actually much, much more exciting. And it's, it's lying underneath and not a lot of people are talking about it. And this is what's called the human potential for Bitcoin. It is a technology. And by using cryptographic technology, it replaces the trust that we need uh, uh, in order to build central banks, banks, accountants, lawyers. All these, all this infrastructure that uses up a lot of resources is required for me to trust sending wealth to you. Now, Bitcoin collapses all of that legacy infrastructure into math. And so the ability to transfer wealth from one person to another directly now is extremely efficient. And this is the human potential of Bitcoin in that it will allow, for example, remittances. There, in 2012, there was $540 billion of remittances. And a lot of this is, is people migrant workers or people overseas that work very hard building our buildings that we work in and picking the food that we eat and they send their money home and a lot of times they don't have bank accounts or credit cards and they rely upon financial institutions that charge them upwards of 20%. If these people are making 1500 or or $1,000 a year, that's a lot of money uh, to them. And Bitcoin introduces this new technology that's revolutionary that allows them to send that money if they have a smartphone for free. And if they don't have a smartphone, they don't even have to know they're using Bitcoin just by putting that conduit in and replace of the legacy system and using a cash-in and a cash-out system on either side. You could do it for 1% or 2 or 3%. And so this technology is really empowering billions of people on Earth by allowing them to save 10 15% of what they earn, and that money, instead of going to financial institutions, can go towards feeding their family or educating their children or paying, paying for a new house, something positive. And this is the non-monetary value of Bitcoin, and this has the same utility, regardless if the price is $1 or $1 million. It, it is absolutely irrelevant. 
what the price of Bitcoin is. And this is why I'm most excited about Bitcoin. I want to just mention that in the interview no, here today. No, that, that's fine. I want to back that up. That often I think about the enormous, you could say, portion of the economy that doesn't actually produce anything of real value. Oh. And it, it, because just changing uh, legacy currencies or you know, across, across nations, to me, does not add any value to anybody. You're basically just jumping through hoops. And it is wonderful to see. I, mean, I think there was one estimate of $8 billion that these intermediaries collect just on remittances alone. So an enormous amount of money is being siphoned off or wasted in their process. That is a tremendous advantage, and I'll say that this is one reason why I'm using it. Now, people are looking to use this. Should they actually just go straight to Bitcoin, or should they build a variety of accounts or a variety of cryptocurrencies in their portfolio? Right. Well, it really depends on where you live. Each country has different uh, regulations and capital control. So probably a place like Venezuela might be more difficult to get your hands on some Bitcoin than mm. a place like uh, United States. Uh, but generally speaking, if you if you choose to, to use Bitcoin, you can use it in, in one of two ways, as either a store of wealth or a medium of exchange. There's The price of Bitcoin is quite volatile. Uh, it can change 50% in one day, although the volatility has been going down relative to what it was a few years ago. Uh, it still is very high compared to, to fiat. If you mm. hold, if your holding period increases, the volatility tends to be overwhelmingly on the upside. Um, but historically, that has been the case. But if you don't like the volatility, you don't have to put your entire savings into Bitcoin as a store of wealth. You put a little bit there, whatever you feel comfortable having a bit of price volatility on. But where people can really use Bitcoin now is at a, as a medium of exchange. Um, so you can, I think Overstock.com just announced a few days ago, you can buy anything on their website uh, using Bitcoin. And I, I did. I went on. It was, it was extremely easy. All I put in was the shipping address and no other personal information. So no one's going to hack my credit card like what happened to everybody at Target. They get none of the information required to access the wealth in my wallet. So if people want to begin to use Bitcoin, really the easiest way is to go to LocalBitcoins.com. LocalBitcoins.com. Bitcoins.com is a great website. You go on there, you type in where you live, a list of people coming up, buying and selling Bitcoin in your, your neighborhood will be there. Uh, you can pick if you want to purchase electronically or purchase by cash in person. If you choose to purchase by cash in person, you can pick a time and a date where you go meet that person, meet them somewhere like McDonald's or Starbucks, sit down, you exchange your cash, and then they will transfer the Bitcoin to your wallet. It's very easy. Uh, mm. If you want to do something that's a large transaction, you don't feel comfortable doing in person, holding a lot of cash, um, then if you're in, in the United States, uh, Coinbase.com is a very easy place to get started. Uh, only U.S. people with a U.S. bank account currently can use it. Uh, going to Coinbase.com, set up an account, do a, a slight know, know your client verification with the company. And once you're approved, then it's just a matter of selecting how many coins you want to purchase, hit buy, and, and there you go. Right. And I'll, I'll say Coinbase is a, a, a good place to start. How then would people, let's say you use Coinbase or you get started, how then would you, the, the recipient in another country, convert that to cash or the local currency? Right, so this is one of the um, bottlenecks that the Bitcoin economy is currently facing is, is liquidity uh, in countries where you don't have uh, options like Coinbase or there's not a lot of Bitcoin that already exists. I would assume mm. Venezuela is one of those. Uh, yes. Many of the Latin, Latin American countries, this is a problem in Brazil, Argentina, and, and I, would, I would say there's probably more. Uh, so right now, the solution that people are coming up with is having uh, sort of cash-in, cash-out services. So you can go into, I think you can already do this in a number of countries. I know in Argentina and Brazil you can. It's something that looks very similar to a Western Union-type outlet. You walk in, 
and you say, I'd like to purchase or I'd like to sell this amount of Bitcoin, uh, you agree on a rate, and then they'll either transfer the Bitcoin to your wallet if you're purchasing Bitcoin, or you can transfer a Bitcoin to their wallet if you're selling Bitcoin. So it's kind of like a it's kind of like a local bitcoins.com except it's in a it's in a small office and there's always always someone there so you you always know where to go. And so this is the kind of service um, that a number of companies are working on. I know uh, Zipzap is 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 launching this service across Europe. Uh, there's a number of other companies as well in Latin America that are already providing this. So for for people in other countries, uh, this is an option. Not in every country yet, um. but it, this is an easy solution that's currently being rolled out around the world. Ryan, I mean, I'll, I'll just say the promise is enormous, and there's a great room. There's there's lots of room for people who want to make this a, pro- a professional, want to get involved in the industry, uh, because there's still places like New Zealand, where I'm from, uh, where there's but there's very little engagement. So you can be a pioneer in this regard. Uh, we we're nearing the end of the show. Uh, Greg, do you want to just if you have any final comments you want to get up before we have to go? Oh, the last thing I wanted to say is I, we were talking earlier about that we don't think that I don't think it will be banned, and I think the reason it won't be made illegal is because what you just said, from this technology, there is a huge, potentially huge new industry that's just becoming uh, to develop, and it will require employment, and it will require capital investment, and this will cause real economic growth. And once the corporate profits start to improve, once we see real economic growth, we see job growth, as a direct result of the Bitcoin technology, I think it will be very difficult for governments to say, no, we don't want to have this positive right. effect on our Gotcha. Thanks so much. If you want to check out our site, nomadiclife.com. Uh, Greg, I really appreciate your time. We are hard against the top of the hour. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I'll be uh, back next week. Stay tuned to The Stateless Man.